American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Before World War II, outside of a few agricultural colleges and universities, the university system in the United States was very much like that in Europe. It was essentially a gigantic finishing school for the upper class, where young men and occasionally young women went to party for a few years, join a fraternity, go to football games, wear raccoon coats, which apparently they did in the 1920s, drink quite a bit, in fact, uh, and then go on to a job which had probably already been created for them. Now, the U.S. university system was never quite as much like that as the European university system was, a sort of reproducer of social class in the pre-war period. But after World War II, you see this radical transformation in the U.S. university system. It becomes much bigger, much more democratic. It brings in many more people. Government is driving this process as policy. And what comes out at the other end uh, is a much greater set of products, if you will. A huge number of citizens who now are credentialed uh, as university graduates, as people who are lawyers and doctors and other sorts of professional categories as well, but also a huge stream of research. A stream of research that is going to enrich industry, govern, empower government, uh, empower the U.S. military, and transform American society to such an extent so that by the early 21st century, if you looked at all the industries, if you will, in the U.S. economy, all the different sectors, and if you said higher education is an industry, and then you rank them each versus the rest of the world, you would have to say higher education is one of the few industries in which the U.S. was unquestionably the leader in the early 21st century. Now, at the end of World War II, something like 5% of all American adults, let's say people over 25, uh, who've had their opportunity to go to university, something like 5% of all of those adults actually had a bachelor's degree or higher. By the early 21st century, that number is about 30%. And the big transition happens between 1945 and 1970. This is the period where it becomes a truly common, a truly expected experience to go to college or university. And if you had to push even further and isolate even further and say, what is the moment uh, where you really see a real spike, a real jump upwards? You would have to say that at, very, at the very least, it starts with the GI Bill, with the attempt by Congress and by the President to ensure that the veterans who are coming home from World War II and later veterans who serve in the civilian military, or in the peacetime military, I should say, are going to have the opportunity to get higher education. Now, there's a very Keynesian uh, piece of this, if you will, uh, when you've got uh, something like 10 million men and women coming back from employment with the government and many millions of others no longer working in defense factories as the economy retools towards a peacetime status, you've got potentially millions of unemployed people. It's much better to send them uh, into the higher education system and allow them to come out on a more piecemeal basis with more training. And that's precisely what the Truman administration implemented in the wake of World War II and what successive administrations have, have uh, repeated since that time. But there's another piece of the expansion of universities uh, other than just the GI Bill, which we have to think about in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. And that is the dramatic increase 
uh, particularly by the federal government, an investment in basic and applied research. A lot of this, of course, is driven by the expansion of the peacetime military that you see as part of the Cold War. But there's a whole array of other research projects in agriculture, uh, in industry, and in information sciences that the federal government and some state governments support as well. All of this dramatically increases the size of virtually every American institution of higher education in the wake of World War II. Now, if you look back at the late 19th century and the early 20th century, a lot of the basic research that is happening that's really driving technological innovation is happening uh, either on, because it's being done by innov individual innovators uh, or because it's being financed by industry. If you look at uh, Aerosmith, the, the lead character of Sinclair Lewis's novel uh, about an aspirant uh, research scientist, ultimately what he wants to do is work for industry. After World War II, Aerosmith would have aimed at a university career. A lot of the innovation that had been funded by corporations before World War II eventually ends up in the university sector. And that would only grow more and more uh, significant. That would only become more and more the case as the 20th century went on. Now, there's still exceptions. There's lots of exceptions to that. Uh, but even many of the exceptions that, that we see uh, by the 1990s with the rise of Silicon Valley, with the rise of Research Triangle Park uh, in, in the Triangle area uh, of North Carolina, what we see is that we have researchers who have one foot in higher education and one foot in industry. We see companies that are created by professors. Uh, we see companies uh, that locate next to universities so they can hire graduate students. Higher education uh, and advanced innovation, advanced technologies become symbiotic. And the third partner in all of that, of course, is the government, which is supporting a lot of the basic research that's driving that innovation. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Mm -hmm.